Well, it's good to be back with you tonight. I'm just going to get into the Word of God here tonight. No worship music. I don't have a voice to sing as of yet, but I hopefully have voice to teach. Uh, but uh, Dave do. He's uh, got his voice back and planning on leading worship for us this coming Sunday. So I was surprised. I didn't know. Anyways, I, I didn't know if Dave would be able to sing for a while, but he can. So I'm glad to hear that. So we look forward to having Dave return with us this coming Sunday for worship. And we'll be looking at Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse 15, picking up where I left off a couple of weeks ago. We had a, a cool message that I received from one of our longtime radio listeners who actually moved out of the area, and he's been supporting our radio ministry with a small monthly check for several years. He moved out of the area, so he thought he was done with WLGS. But the message he sent was saying that even though I can't listen to the radio ministry, I so appreciate it. I am increasing the monthly gift to the radio ministry. And so I was able to tell him hi. It's been a while since I'd heard from him. But also let him know that we are streaming. And so he's not out of range any longer and so he was blessed to hear that as well but just the thought of someone who it's like I can't uh, receive the radio signal it's out of range but the ministry is important and I want to continue to support in fact uh, the email was to tell us that he was raising his support and not even thinking he could listen to the radio ministry but Surprise, surprise, he's able to listen to us as well. So anyways, that was a blessing this morning, just to know that there are those who are helping support the ministry of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, our radio ministry, uh, WLGS, and we are so appreciative of those who take that extra step to pray for our ministry, to also help support the ministry, even when they're thinking I can't even listen. It's like, you know what? I'm still going to bless them. And that was a blessing to us today. Well, I want to go ahead and open us in prayer. And we're going to look at Genesis 25 and 26 tonight. And so we're going to get right into the teaching of God's word this evening. So, Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you, Father, for our church who had seen a number of people who have been sick, and myself included in that, and my wife Lily as well. Uh, Lily doing better than I have, quicker than I have, but Lord, to be back in the pulpit, I thank you, Lord, that you are strengthening our bodies, and I pray that you would continue to be with those who uh, continue to suffer, and their bodies are continuing to heal. I pray that you'd bring healing to each one, that you would strengthen them, and Lord, that you would uh, protect us all. We live in a very troubling time in the world and in our nation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom 
as we conduct ourselves in this life that you have planted us in. Lord, this is the time that you have given us to serve you. Of all the generations that have been upon this earth, this is the generation that you have called us to. And I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful witnesses for your kingdom and for your glory. Pray, Father, that you bless us as we look into your word tonight and to see the examples of those who have gone before us, like Abraham and Isaac. I pray, Father, that it would encourage us in our own walk with you. We ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, amen. So Genesis 25 is kind of wrapping up the account of Abraham and also his son, Ishmael and Isaac. And so Isaac will continue on into chapter 26. In fact, Isaac's story will continue on a bit further, but really wrapping up the account of Abraham and also Ishmael. And they will somewhat drop out of the text itself and we'll concentrate more on Isaac, and then we'll get into Jacob, and then the story of Joseph as we continue through the book of Genesis. Here we have in chapter 25, we're learning of two nations. And in all of these passages, I've been just keying in on a key verse out of the chapter that we've been looking at. And in chapter 25, I chose verse 23 as a key verse where it tells us the Lord said to her two nations are in your womb two peoples shall be separated from your body one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger well that's jumping us ahead in our text just a little bit but that is important talking about the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, and the twin sons of Jacob and Esau. But before Moses gets into the accounts of Jacob and Esau, he begins to give us some information about the deaths of Abraham and Ishmael. In verses 7 and 8, we learn that this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last, and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. So after Abraham breathed his last breath upon this earth, he was, according to the word of God, 175 years old. The Bible tells us that he was gathered to his people. I really like that phrase. We'll read it Again, at the death of Isaac, we'll see it with Jacob and with Joseph, that the thought of the spiritual heritage that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is that life continues. In fact, Jesus would himself say that Abraham always sees the face of my father in heaven. And so it's a change of location for Father Abraham. He's gathered to his people those who have gone before him and the people who had gone before them in the walk of faith. Now Abraham joining that heavenly choir, we might say. 
And then Isaac and Ishmael came together to bury their father in the cave that he had purchased as a burial plot. And ultimately, we learn here in the book of Genesis that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah would all find their place in that cave that Abraham had purchased from Ephron of the sons of the Hittites there in the land. We learned of this when Sarah died, that although he had dwelt in the land for many years, he had not owned a piece of the property. And so he bought this burial plot, and it became this family burial plot there in the land of Egypt. I will come back to this because, as I said, others would be buried there as well. And in this family burial plot, I'll just jump ahead in the story. I think it's really something to contemplate. But Jacob, remember, he would die in Egypt and he would be embalmed as was the ways of the Egyptians and then brought back to the land of promise. And his son Joseph also would come back to the Egyptians, to the land of promise. So we were talking about the burial cave where Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah, ultimately Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. And uh, over in Israel, just to think about this, there are at least two men who had been mummified in Egypt, brought back to be buried in the land of Israel. Jacob would be one of those, and also Joseph. I'm waiting for the day they discover a couple of Egyptian mummies in Israel we will be able to point to it in Scripture, and we'll know who they are. Well, afterwards, God blessed Isaac as he began his own sojourn in the land of promise. And although the Abrahamic covenant had not yet been passed on to Isaac by God, knowing that he was the son of promise, he began to live as such in the land. It says in verse 11 that it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son, and Isaac dwelt at Ber Laha Rohi. I found that when we're willing to go forth with the truths that God has shown us, and this is just considering Isaac at this point. His dad had passed away. He had buried him. Now he had taken all the possessions. They belonged to him, inherited this. But he had not yet been given the covenant of Abraham, But even though the Lord, which we'll read about that happening in chapter 26, had not yet passed on the covenant of Abraham to Isaac, officially Isaac began conducting himself as a son of promise. And I found that when we are willing to go forth with the truths that God has shown us, that more revelation comes as we strive to walk in the ways of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your hearts. And this is what Isaac is choosing to do at this point. He is not perfect, nor are any of us, but God works through imperfect people like me and like you. Well, in verses 12 through 18, we're given the genealogy of Ishmael. 
And now this is the genealogy of Ishmael. It tells us in verse 12, the son of Abraham, whom Hagar the Egyptian bore to him, Sarah's maid servant, who bore to Abraham the son Ishmael. Ishmael would live to be 137 years old before his death, and he fathered at least 12 sons and one daughter. I'm not going to read the names of the sons. You can do that if you choose to. Uh, They begin in verse uh, 13 and go down through verse 15. But these 12 sons became 12 princes in the lands. They had a small kingdom. God had promised that he would bless Ishmael because he was a descendant of Abraham. And God always fulfills his promises. But also we'll discover in the account of Joseph being sold as a slave into Egypt that the descendants of Ishmael would play into that as those who bartered for the life of Joseph to bring him down to Egypt. And so we'll find interaction with the sons of Ishmael and the children of Israel throughout the Old Testament. In verse 17 and 18, it tells us these were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And they dwelt from Havalah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. So he was there with his family and those who had descended from him. And so the father of the Ishmaelites and those who would descend from him. But Ishmael itself, having these 12 sons, at least one daughter, probably had more than one daughter, but one named in Scripture, we find that it was a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and Hagar. In Genesis 21:13, God said, Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So God promised Abraham, I will make him a nation as well as Isaac. And then to Hagar, when she was in the wilderness thinking she was about to die, the angel of the Lord came to her in Genesis 21, 18, saying, Arise, lift up the lad and hold him in your hand, for I will make him a great nation. It's just a great reminder of us. Even though Ishmael was not a man who walked in the ways of the Lord, the Lord was faithful to keep his covenant, his promises that he had given to Abraham and to Hagar. God always keeps his promises. And we close out with the genealogy of Isaac given to us. Well, we begin in verse 19, this is the genealogy of Isaac. Abraham's son, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Pandan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And so Isaac and Rebekah, they were married 20 years before. They had their twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And we find that Isaac actually in verse 21, because Rebecca was barren and had no child, and it had been 20 years of marriage and still no child, 
he pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Verse 21, that Isaac pleaded with the Lord in behalf of his wife. And I think it's good for husbands and wives to pray for one another and to also pray together. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter reminds us, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of this life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And so Peter reminds us the importance of praying with, dwelling with our wives. But it, although he's speaking about a physical relationship that we have with our husband and our wife, here he says, you do these things that your prayers may not be hindered. And so it's important for husbands and wives to commit not only their lives to one another, but in prayer toward God, praying for one another. So God heard the prayer, and Rebecca conceived. And during her pregnancy, uh, the Bible tells us that she had a great struggle within her womb, so great that she went to the Lord in prayer regarding the turmoil, this pregnancy. And what seemed like a war going on in her belly. And she wasn't far off. And so when she took this concern to the Lord in prayer, he revealed to her that two nations were being formed in her womb. And that one would be stronger than the other. And that the older would serve the younger. That is just, you know, we've had a lot in the news about the abortion issue in our nation, especially with Texas passing a a new law that really allows for some uh, forward ground to be taken by those who believe in life here in the United States. And, you know, scripturally, we look at a child in the womb. Here we find that God is identifying Well, Rebecca, here's what's going on. You have two nations forming in your womb. The older will be stronger than the younger, but the older will serve the younger. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139.16, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In our country today, in many places in the world, there are those who seemingly turn off logic, for one, to think that a a fetus, a baby in the womb is not life. But according to the word of God, God knows even before one breath is taken upon this earth, Psalm 139.16, the days were fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So God describing the two nations. And so it was, verses 24 through 28, when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. 
Esau means hairy. Afterwards, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Jacob can mean heel catcher, supplanter, or deceiver. And we'll find it will fit the characteristic of Jacob early on in his life. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter. He was a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And so it would be easy to read into the New King James here that Esau was a man's man, a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a mama's boy, liked to hang out in the tent, make some stews, as we'll find out at the end of this chapter. He'll be cooking for his brother. But there is something that has always stood out to me when you look at the Hebrew word for what is translated as a mild man. Tam is the Hebrew word. And it's also a word that means integrity and completeness. The complete word study dictionary said of this word, this is a rare, almost exclusively poetic term, often translated perfect, but not carrying the sense of being totally free from fault. For it was used of quite flawed people as Jacob was a very flawed man. Even after God gave him the name Israel, Jacob, we know, was a a flawed man, but this term to describe him as being complete. And I believe that, though not yet complete, one day he would find that fulfillment in God, the Lord God himself, when he would wrestle with the angel of the Lord And the angel of the Lord would touch his socket at a much later age in his life. And his name would be changed from Jacob, heel catcher, to Israel, governed by God. So we'll find that these things will play into the characteristics of the boys as they grow up. We'll read about it in Scripture. And one of the accounts is given to us early on in verses 29 through 34. We find that Jacob being the homeboy, cooking the stew. And Esau came in from the field, verse 29, and he was weary. So verse 30, Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary. And therefore his name was called Edom. Edom meaning red. And so what went on to happen was that Esau willingly sold his birthright to Jacob for A pot of stew, a pot of red stew. Not a very good deal for Esau, but it gives us a hint toward his character. A man who lived to gratify his flesh, who did not care for the spiritual things that had been afforded to him, inherited his right by inheritance as the firstborn. Nor did he care about the blessings and the promises that God had given to Abraham. So verses 31 through 34, Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. 
So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and he drank and he arose and he went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The author of Hebrews would make note of this. In Hebrews 12, verses 15 through 17, this is how he describes this account. Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, even though he sought it diligently with tears. Esau was a man who apparently lived his emotions on his sleeve, we might say. He was a very in-the-moment type guy. And as I said, the rightful inheritance that belonged to him was of no value to him. He was willing to sell off that birthright for a pot of stew and thus rejecting the very inheritance that God had promised Abraham, passed on to Isaac, and then would ultimately be passed on to Jacob. It's important for us as followers of Jesus Christ that we would follow the spiritual blessings that are available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes these spiritual blessings can be passed on to us from our parents, from our grandparents or other family members. At other times, we may discover these blessings apart from any spiritual inheritance that we have received. It could be that our our parents did not walk in the way of the Lord. And so the journey begins with us. But the importance for us to walk that journey in such a way that we not only strive to walk in the ways of God, living in the promises of God as Isaac did here in chapter 25. He began to live out the promises of Abraham, even though the blessing had not yet officially been passed to him. That was coming. It is coming. We'll read about it in chapter 26. But we should do the same to live out the promises that have been afforded to us, the blessings that we know that are ours by right of inheritance and not to be willing to forfeit those blessings for any reason, not for a pot of stew or any such reason. Well, as Isaac began to live out his own blessing in the land, he would discover that there was room for him in the land of promise. But that discovery, it's found here in Genesis 26. And I I picked verse 22 as the key verse. And he moved from there and he dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he 
called its name Rehoboth because he said, now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Up to this point, Isaac had been living off the blessings of his father, Abraham. Now God's covenant with Abraham would pass from Abraham to Isaac and he would find that there was room. He said, room for us in the land of promise. Well, we begin in verses 1 and 2. It says, there was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. So the chapter begins with another famine coming upon the land. During now the days of Isaac, they reminded us of the famine that came in the lifetime of Abraham. And now another famine came in the lifetime of Isaac. And it may appear that Isaac was beginning to follow the path. He might have been thinking, what did dad do? When there was a famine in the land, oh yeah, he went to Egypt. And so he began to go south. He went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And Abraham also had interaction with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. But it was at this point that the Lord appeared to Isaac and says to him, don't go to Egypt. As your dad did, I do not want you to do. Don't go down to Egypt, but stay in the land which I shall tell you. So God called for Isaac to put his trust in him by remaining in the land, even in the midst of a famine. And moreover, God promised to bless him and to multiply his descendants. He said to him in verses 3 through 5, Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants... I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to your father Abraham and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Right now, The Abrahamic covenant is based upon the actions of Abraham. God said to Isaac, I will do all these things for you if you remain in the land and trust me. I will bless you and I will bless your descendants. But I'm doing this because, verse 5, Abraham obeyed my voice. Abraham kept my charge. Abraham kept my commandments. He kept my statutes. He kept my laws. So right now, it is a testing ground from how I view this for Isaac. He's beginning to learn to walk in faith with God. As his father Abraham had done, now it was time for Isaac to walk in such a faith. So just as Abraham had been faithful in his generation, God calls Isaac to walk in the land of promise and pledges that he would be with him And bless him. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4, verses 21 through 23, 
and also verse 28. I didn't want to read the whole passage, so I broke it up just a little bit. But beginning in Galatians 4.21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, the other by the free woman, Ishmael and Isaac. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, speaking of Ishmael. He who was of the free woman through promise, speaking of Isaac. And in verse 28, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So Isaac, a son of promise, beginning to walk in the promises of God, just like his father had done before him. Ultimately, we understand that the Abrahamic covenant finds its fulfillment in Christ Jesus, our Lord, where the Lord said to Abraham, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Speaking of Christ, our Messiah, in your seed, singular, speaking of Jesus Christ. So he's beginning to walk with the Lord. It's during a time of famine, but we next learn that Isaac feared the people of the land more than he feared God. It goes like this in verses 6. In verse 6 it says, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Remember, I had mentioned that Isaac, he began, it seems, to go down to Egypt. And maybe he was thinking, what would dad do? Oh, he, during a famine, went to Egypt. And God said, no, Isaac, don't go to Egypt. But he still had this, what would dad do mentality. What did dad do when he traveled out and about? When he did his walkabouts in the promised land? He told everybody that Sarah's my sister. Sarah's my sister. He repeated that, and for him, it was a half-truth. In Genesis 20, verses 12 and 13, Abraham would say, But indeed, she truly is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham had started this half lie that he used in a number of different places, telling people that Sarah was his sister, which was partially true, but not saying that she is my wife. Here's the thing. What was a half truth for Abraham and Sarah became a whole lie. For Isaac and Rebecca. And sometimes we get in those compromises as parents and we think, no big deal, no harm done. And the compromise that we make as adults, our children see, and they take it one step forward. What was a half compromise for Abraham became a whole lie for Isaac. And the same thing could be repeated in our lives as well. How important it is for us to live in truth before others especially our children. In verse 8, it says, Now it came to pass 
while they've been there a long time, that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked through the window and saw. And there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. And so that Hebrew term showing endearment, it means laughter or to play. And by the end of this chapter, we'll discover that they've been married for 60 years and laughter. Remember, Isaac, his name meant laughter. And laughter still was a mark of their marriage. It may be that laughter would be one of the traits that mark our lives as well. So verse 9 and 10, Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is is this that you have done to us? One of the people might have soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. Verse 11, so Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. It is a sad day when those who do not fear God actually live with more integrity than what the God-fearers are doing. Isaac and Rebekah, they lied before the people. It was a a flat-out whole lie. They were cousins, but they were not half-brother and sisters like Abraham and Sarah. And yet, the king of the Philistines understood that if any of the people would have laid with her, they would have brought guilt upon their nation. They had more integrity in this situation at this point than Isaac and Rebekah. And the problem was is that Isaac feared the people of the land. He feared the people more than the God he followed. In Matthew 10:28, it tells us, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Sometimes we need to put fear in the right place. Make sure we fear the one who created us and this world and all that's in it. And not those in this world. So here we find that even in the blessings, there is conflict. In verse 12, then Isaac sowed in that land. He reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man, verse 13, began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. They like using that word, prosper there. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now, we know that Abraham was a great man. He had great wealth. But remember, he divided that wealth up between all his sons, gave everything that he had to Isaac, but he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, the seven sons who had been born to him, Ishmael and the six sons of Keturah. And so now there's a rebuilding of the wealth. God blesses in that same year, in the year of a famine, Isaac sowed seed 
and reaped one hundredfold. And it caused the Philistines to envy Isaac, so much so that they stopped up the wells of Abraham. And then King Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, asked Isaac to lead their country because they feared his wealth and strength. Verses 15 and 16, the Philistines had stopped up the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they'd filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go your way from us, for you are much mightier than we. And although Isaac would go on to reopen the wells of his father, he still found no place in the land. And it tells us in verses 17 through 22 that Isaac departed from there. He pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and he dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he called them by the names which his father had called them. So reopening the wells of his father Abraham, this became a blessing to me. And a friend of our ministry here at Calvary Chapel Lake Village on Marcourt, who now is pastoring in Florida, Peace River Chapel, in Punta Gorda, Florida, is where John pastors today. But John wasn't the one who first went there to reestablish the work. John had been there in the late 80s. He had pastored a Baptist church in that area. And then, uh, I believe in 1990, he moved to California in order that he could go to the School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. Uh, 1992, Lily and I, we followed out as well as I went to the School of Ministry there. So we were there in California for a couple of years at the same time. And then John from California came to Illinois and uh, then went back out to California. But it was his oldest son, Brian, who was a youth pastor in Dixon, California, that was reading this passage of Scripture where it talked about Isaac redigging the wells of his father. And he decided, the Lord's calling me to go back to Punta Gorta. He hadn't been there since he was a young boy. But he went there to establish a Calvary Chapel that eventually his dad would come and be the pastor of. So the importance of reopening those wells, renewing the work, This is not uh, a work that was established here, Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, the building, the grounds that we are on. This is a different ministry. It belonged to Assemblies of God Church prior to Calvary Chapel taking the ownership of this property back in 1992. But I have viewed, once Calvary Chapel came on the grounds, the reestablishing of a church that had been closed for two years, And remember that when we acquired the property, that there was holes in the roof, water standing in the basement, and the place was in ruins. And so there has been this desire as me and many others who came before me of uh, reestablishing the work that God had once done in this place, a place that had been dedicated to God, but reopening those wells, reestablishing the heritage of faith that had been 
stopped up for a season. And now Isaac reopening those wells. We can do that very same thing. My friend, his son Brian, and my friend John, they lived this out literally in their walk of faith down in Punta Gorda, Florida. And we can live it out here where the Lord has planted us as well. So verse 19, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and they found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Girah quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. I know you guys dug it, but it's ours. So he named the place Esek, which means quarrel. And Isaac simply walked away from it. In verse 21, they dug another well and they quarreled over it also. So he called the name of that place Sitna. Imiti is the meaning of that word. There was conflict again. In verse 22, he moved from there, dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. And so he called the name of that place Rehoboth because he says, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. So he didn't battle over these wells, even though they rightfully belonged to him. His servants dug them. They found the water. He waited until he found a place where no one quarreled over it. Rehoboth, the name of that place, meaning room for us. God has given us room. It's a a name that means spacious. He said, verse 22, for the Lord has now made room for us that we might be fruitful in the land. And so then we discover as we close out in verses 23 through 35, the blessings of Beersheba. And there's four things that take place as we close out the chapter. I'll move through them rather quickly. In Beersheba, it was a place where Abraham and Abimelech had made a covenant with one another. Remember when Abraham set aside the seven ewe lambs and Abimelech asked, what are these? And these are the witnesses, the well of seven, Beersheba, the well of seven. And so Isaac was at Beersheba. Three major events took place in his life, actually four. First, the Lord confirms the covenant of Abraham and gives it to Isaac in verses 23 and 24. He went from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him and said, that same night said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So now the covenant of Abraham is passed on officially to Isaac there at Beersheba. In verses three through six, God promised Isaac if he remained in the land, that he would bless him. And God blessed him a hundredfold, even though at times he got off track with those full lies, uh, fearing the people of the land more than they feared God. For a season, he may have feared man more than God, but now he renews his walk with the Lord at Beersheba, and God passes on the Abrahamic covenant to him. And this is signified by the building of an altar. In verse 25, the second thing that took place, he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. So like his father, Abraham, Isaac now became an unashamed worshiper of God. 
Even in a foreign land, he set down roots. He dug a well and he worshipped the God of creation in the midst of people who did not even believe in this God. So the digging of the well signifies that Isaac was putting down roots in the promised land. There's room for us now, he said. And number three, Abimelech and Phicol show up again in verses 26 through 33. I'll just summarize this for you. On the same day of his covenant, Isaac found the water and he called it Sheba, the well of the oath or the well of seven. We also know it as Beersheba. And so it was, verse 33, he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city was Beersheba to this day. And so King Abimelech and Phicol came to him and said, make a covenant with us. It's obvious that God has blessed you. And we want you to make a covenant with us that you will not harm our people. And we will also make a covenant with you that we will not harm you or your descendants after you. And so the Bible tells us that Isaac made this covenant of peace with them. In verse 29, they asked that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you, since you have done nothing to you but good and have sent you on the way in peace. Now, they've been in the truth a little bit. Remember, they'd asked them to get out. We don't like you anymore. But now they he had grew so strong that they wanted this covenant of peace. Verse 30, he made them a feast. They ate and they drank. Verse 31, they rose early in the morning. They swore an oath with one another. Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. We are to live peaceably to those who are in the land, but realize that Isaac had struggled living among the people when he feared the people more than he feared God. Now that he put God first, the people of the land began to fear the man of God, Isaac. George Williams, in his student commentary, he wrote about this saying, it is when Isaac definitely separates himself from the men of Gerah that they come to him seeking blessing from God. Then he goes on to say, the Christian best helps the world when living in separation from it. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to live lives that mark us as followers of Jesus Christ. And in the process of doing that, we best Help the world that we live in. We close out in verses 34 and 35 with Esau uh, taking two wives. Ultimately, we'll read of his having four wives. But here it begins, and he was 40 years old, verse 34. Esau took as wives Judith, the daughter of Berai, the Hittite, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief to the mind of Isaac and Rebekah. So the chapter just simply closed by telling Esau, once again, a man of the flesh. He is not worried about the spiritual blessings of Abraham. He already sold his birthright. Now he marries two Hittite women. And so he's not worried about staying in the family. 
in the sense of he is now being unequally yoked with the people of the land. As Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? But Esau was a man who was unequally yoked in many ways. So I want to close out. I just wrote a little four-point poem, bullet points. I wrote this many years ago based off this passage after doing a study in Genesis 26. I titled it Dig Deep. The title of our teaching tonight was Digging Deep. So I'm going to read it first, and then I'm going to read it with Scripture on each of the four points. But I want to read the four points first. Dig deep into the Word of God, casting aside the traditions of men which have now clouded your view. Dig deep into the Word of God and let the truth flow from the springs of life. Dig deep into the Word of God and He will reveal His precious treasures to you. Dig deep into the Word of God and He will cleanse you with the washing of the water of His Word. Now I'm going to counter each of those points with Scripture. First, dig deep into the Word of God, casting aside the traditions of men which have clouded your view. Matthew 15:3 says, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Second, dig deep into the Word of God and let the truth flow from His springs of life. In John 7:38, the Lord said, He who believes in me, as Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Third, dig deep into the word of God and he will reveal his precious treasures to you. Colossians 2.2 says, And to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both the Father and of the Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And number four, dig deep into the word of God and he will cleanse you with the washing of the water of his word, Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. And may we be a people who are willing to dig deep. Here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa on Wednesday evenings, we have been rehearsing the ABCs of salvation, a simple plan of salvation that just helps us point an individual to Jesus Christ. And perhaps you need to hear this plan tonight to share with someone else, or maybe you need to receive it yourself. But the A is for admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner and ask forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 goes on to tell us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. The B is for believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and receive his gift of salvation. In Romans 5.8 it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the C is for confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ and share that faith with others. As it says in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, 
that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Perhaps tonight you have a question regarding salvation. Maybe you're listening through social media or through the radio station. If you have any questions, please email us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. Again, this coming Sunday, Lord willing, we'll begin in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and we're going to get into chapter 12. I titled this, A Great Fiery Red Dragon, and we'll be with you this coming Sunday at 10 a.m., either here at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa or through our social media, or through WLGS Radio. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the teaching of your word tonight, for learning of these men and women of faith. Lord, how they lived in uh, difficult situations in their life. They had to learn to walk, Lord, as people of faith. Sometimes there were trials, Lord, that causing them to fear man more than God. But Lord, they learned to trust, to pray for one another, to pray to you, and to walk by faith in the land of promise. Help us to do the same, Lord, to walk by faith in this land that you've placed us in, that we would be those who would be lights of faith, that we would shine the love of Christ to others, in these last days that we find ourselves in. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace.